and helps us to, to listen to what the apostles were saying to the early church. These are messages they were giving to those, those first generation or two of Christians as they were trying to figure out how in the world do we live this life following Jesus? How do we navigate our way through the culture around us and, and, and really stay faithful to the gospel we're called to live? Second John is one of those short letters. But as we begin, I, I really want to highlight something. One of the best days in the year is only 23 days away. Now, some of you are going to start thinking, what's in 23 days? How do I figure this out? All right? So I'll just help you. February 14. Ah, some people are like, ah, yeah, yeah. Romance, all that good stuff. I'm really not talking about that, though. Dan, you'll love this. February 14. Pitchers and catchers report. That is one of the best days of the year. Now, for those of you who don't follow sports, I am a huge Detroit Tigers fan. I love baseball. They announced a couple weeks ago, February 14 is the day all their pitchers and catchers have to show up at camp. It's the start of spring training. And oh, does that feel good. Yeah? Yeah, Matt's with me over there. Yeah. Yeah. I love baseball. I grew up playing baseball. I played on multiple teams as I, I grew up both rec league and for school and uh, have continued to find ways to stay engaged with the sport. One of the fascinating things for me with the sport when you start really watching it is how much can be communicated by the way people walk. You know that? Coach would yell at us, you don't walk out of the dugout, you run out of the dugout. You run onto that field. Hustle, 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 let's go. And if you kind of dogged it back in and kind of took your sweet time coming back in after the inning ended, coach was likely to sit you on the bench, take you out of the game. It was a game that you're supposed to be hustling in and, and getting out there and moving around. But there's other things. Some unwritten rules. It's not in a rule anywhere, but but you know those chalk lines that go down first base and down third base? When you come out of the dugout to go onto the field, or when you're coming off the field to go back into the dugout, just watch the players. They all do this over the chalk line. It's okay to touch the chalk line when the ball's in play and you're running, but in between innings, when you're going in and out, you make sure you don't touch that chalk line. You step right over it. It's all superstition, I know, but but they're very careful. You can even watch some of the pitchers, they kind of stutter step before it to, just to make sure they don't touch that chalk. There's other things that come into play too, like when someone hits a home run and they smack that ball. Now, bat flip aside from Bautista, all right? We'll, we'll take that out of the story here. But, but when someone hits a home run, you got to be very careful at how fast you actually run around the bases. Because if you run around too fast, then people are like, dude, slow down the game. It's not how we play it. You just hit a home run. Take your time. But if you take too much time, or if you happen to look at the opposing pitcher as you're jogging around those bases, the batter behind you is likely to get a ball thrown at their head. It's part of that unwritten rule of the game that, that you communicate your attitude by the way you jog around those bases. 
Same thing happens with a walk. If someone gets a walk and they start going to first base and they're just staring down that pitcher, they're just staring at them, oh, the tensions just rise. But if they take their time and they, they throw the bat to the side and they kind of jog down the first, everything's fine, people are cool, let's keep going. It's amazing to me just by how they walk and move around the bases how much is communicated about their attitudes and about their character. It's actually part of what's happening in this text. It's a small passage, but a number of times the word walk, the way you walk, comes up in this text. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I don't know if you can see it very well, but I I tried highlighting the three times the word walk comes up in there. In the biblical imagery, The idea of walking has to do with your character. It it speaks to the way you carry yourself. Some sense it it could be talking about your your disposition or your attitude, but it's also the lifestyle that's connected with it. How you walk matters in Scripture. We read Psalm 1 to start off the service, and and Psalm 1 talks about walking in a number of places. Blessed is the man or the person who does not walk in step with the wicked. So there's a a distinction that's being made. You can walk in step with the wicked and kind of keep their pace of life and their priorities and, and kind of their strut. Or you can walk in righteousness, which has a very different character to it. And that walking gets defined a number of places as as even a path. There is a path, a wide path that talks about, that leads to destruction. And there's a narrow path that we're called to walk on. We even take some of this language about walking and we weave it into our our Christian language. And, And we may say in an even more evangelical context, how's your walk with the Lord? This idea of walking, it has to do with our character, our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, how we are called to carry ourselves. In this passage, the way we walk, the walking has a particular emphasis with it. It says the character of your walk needs to be marked by love. Did you notice? Walk comes up three times, but But love is also emphasized three times in this section. A short little section, just a few verses, but it's it's really driving home. The character of the way you walk needs to be marked by love. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to, to his commands. If you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I'll... I'm in a baseball kind of mind frame at the moment. I blame it on the warmer weather. But it, it's that sense of, of how's the opposing pitcher, how's the opposing team going to know the character you have? Can they see that our character is marked by love? 
Can the way we live, the way we carry ourselves, the way we walk, does it communicate to the people around us the love that is in us? It's a question for us to think about. What is it in our lives? What habits, what patterns, what ways of speaking, what ways of navigating things on the internet, what, what things we stand for and get involved with, how are those things communicating love? Is our walk characterized by love? Or is it, as Paul challenges a number of his churches, is it characterized more by gossip or by selfishness or by malice and anger and, and all sorts of things that lead to destruction? What characterizes the way we walk? Well, the character here is clearly calling us into a life of love. And, and we might want to ask, so where does that come from? Where is that rooted? The gospel, in a word, is love. The reason we're called to walk in love with Christ, the reason we're called to this way of, of walking, is really because of what God did for us in Jesus Christ. John, writing uh, another letter, says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's a lot we could jump on in this passage and spend our time talking about. I love the middle part there, which also comes up in Second John, that idea of joy. You know, most of the time we start thinking about keeping commands and we're thinking about the, the rules and the regulations and how we have to work really hard at it and we have to spend all sorts of energy making sure we do it just right. And this... Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, just before he dies, he frames it in the context of joy. Joy. There's joy in loving others. There's joy in loving God. There's joy in keeping God's commands. So that as, as we're rooted in this context of God's love for us, that love begins to spill out in love towards others. And it's one that's not, I have to figure out how to love you, Jerry. It's God's love's poured into me. Man, Jerry, I'm so excited. I get to share God's love with you. We get to share it together. There's some delight. There's a sense of, of wonder and awe. I want to share with all of you an incident that happened just this morning. I usually get here way ahead of, of most people. Sometimes the musicians and sound folks beat me here. But I was here and, and just walking over to the kitchen to get some stuff, and, and Judy walks in. Judy didn't know I was going to say this. And Judy walks in, and Judy says to me, Are we going to hear about Jesus today? And I said, Oh, yeah, I hope so. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. And she said, Isn't Jesus just the best? What a simple statement. Isn't Jesus just the best? And I said to Judy, that was such an encouragement to me. 
It's so simple, but it is the gospel, and in some sense, what we are sharing with each other, just this overflowing joy that spills out of us because of God pouring his love to us through Jesus Christ. We get to love one another. We are given the privilege and the freedom to love one another because God has poured his love into us. It's a joy and a privilege that we're being ushered into. It continues in 2 John in the next verse. I say this, and I'll go to the this a minute, the this being this whole paragraph we just read, uh, especially the walking in the truth in that last line, as you, have command, as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this, I command you to walk in love because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. There's an interesting thing that happens throughout the New Testament. It's a, it's a pairing of love and truth together. And in some sense, what, what John is starting to do here is saying, it's, we're called to love one another. We're called to pour into each other and to love one another. But that love can never be separated from the truth in Jesus Christ. The truth that is Jesus Christ. If we were to reread the first few verses of this letter, he actually says it several times about that we are wrapped up and we share in the truth of God's love. The truth lives in us and the truth will be with us forever. It's, it's wrapping us into this bigger story of God's truth. And in some sense what John's saying is, yes, love one another, but don't ever let that love be separated from the truth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Truth here, it's not so much uh, an abstract idea. It's really what it's talking about is what, what's really real. Sometimes people say, what's for reals? Right? It's, it's what's really real. It is the actual substance of what makes things hold together. And part of what's being talked about here, what's, what John's starting to say to this lady he's writing to, is what's really real is not our love for each other. That, that's good, but that's secondary. What's ultimate is God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And in fact, in Jesus who came in the flesh. In other words, what's real is God's love embodied as the actual living, breathing, suffering, dying, rising, ascending, and returning person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just some myth or idea. He's not just some good teacher that came along in history that we happen to remember. Jesus is God's love in the flesh an actual person who came to live and dwell among us, who, who came to demonstrate to us God's love for us, who took on our suffering and brokenness, who entered into all the pain and agony that we were experiencing because of our sin. And in fact, Scripture teaches us that Jesus became that sin so that we might become God's righteousness. Jesus 
took on all our pain and suffering. And John's saying, love one another, but don't do it from a distance. Love one another as God has loved us in Christ Jesus. Get into each other's suffering. Enter into each other's brokenness. Find those places where people are hurting and full of sorrow and walk with them. Take it on as your own struggle, as your own pain, even if it is not yours. Just as God did for us in Jesus Christ. God, who became flesh and dwelled among us, who, who tangibly, physically suffered and died, who, whose body was wounded for us on the cross, who bled for us, who entered into death itself, our greatest enemy, in order to overcome it and overthrow it so that we might have life with God. Oh, it's easy, isn't it? To say, I love you. It's much harder to work it out. It's much harder to live that love out. It's much harder to stay with people when they're cranky and ornery. It's much harder to stay and love people when they're full of sorrow and pain. It's much harder when their brokenness reminds you of your own brokenness. It's difficult when you see them doing things and saying things that you know are completely wrong. I think many of us have been experiencing some of that tension of loving others as Christ has loved us. I know certainly this past couple weeks as I've anticipated the, the inauguration of Donald Trump, And there's part of me that's tempted just to lay into him on the internet, not that he would actually read it, though if he did, it would be retweeted and retweeted. But you want to lay into him and you want to shake him and you want to say, what are you thinking and what are you saying? And, and the people who go along with it. And, and there's this public tension of how do, we, how do we treat someone who is acting so contrary to what we fundamentally believe we are called to live towards others. And yet the gospel here, gospel here leads us to say we need to love our enemies, those who are opposed to the gospel and those who live in ways that show a brokenness in this world and a mistreatment of others. We're called to live with the same love Christ had for us. And that's hard. It's not easy. Whether it's someone that we don't actually know in person whether it's someone in the cubicle next to us, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's our own spouse or our own kids. When we encounter the brokenness in others, that's the place where this gospel becomes real. Can we love others in the midst of their brokenness as Christ loved us in the midst of our brokenness? First John this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What we'll celebrate in just a moment with joy 
is this gift of God where he entered into our brokenness, our sinfulness, and said, I am taking this burden away from you. I am entering into it, and I will die in your place so that you do not have to be separated from me forever. I'm going to reconcile us, even though you are the offender. I'm going to reach out to you and enter in so that you can be restored in relationship with me. I am going to atone, make right for your sins. But it doesn't stop there. He adds this next sentence. Dear friends, since God so loved us that he sent his one and only son to die for us, we also ought to love one another. The implications of what we are about to take, the implications of what God has done in Jesus Christ are that we are to become a community of love, a community that loves one another, even in our brokenness, even when we don't like each other, that we learn and we steadfastly love one another. So much so that Jesus said, don't just love your friends and those who treat you well. Love your enemies. The source, the character, the goal of the way we are called to walk with one another is rooted in the truth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. It's called love. The love of God who died in our place. The love of God who rose again to usher us into a new life whereby through his spirit we can love one another. I don't know the specifics for you of where this challenge will come. I don't know where it will be difficult for you to love. But I do know from this testimony in scripture that we're called into this life of love with one another not because it's a good thing for us to do not because it makes us happy but because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ that we too are to begin to lay down our lives so that others might experience the love of God that we have received let's pray Lord, the way we walk with each other, with others, communicates so much about what we believe, about what we say we believe. It communicates a whole lot more in this society, in this day and age, about who you are. We ask that by your Spirit, you would equip us to walk in love that you would renew our understanding and our, our faith in you and your love for us in Jesus Christ. That we would be amazed that you love us as deeply as you do and as completely as you do. And that that love for us would spill over into the way we love one another. Thank you for the incredible love that you have given us in Jesus Christ. May you renew us in that love and may you lead us to walk in that love now 
and always. In Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. Invite us to stand as we sing together, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us.